0: You're about to listen to youth produce content from Listen Up Youth Radio. Listen Up is a Twin Cities social enterprise working at the intersection of youth employment leadership and media production. You're listening to Youth Soup, the podcast that adds some youth to your soup.
1: That was so good.
2: So welcome back to season three of Youth Soup here with Listen Up. And today we have a very special guest. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, my name is Janata Petrus Nassau. And I am uh, author, writer, runaway witch, cosmic back lady, (laughs) sweetener. And yeah, that's a little bit about me so far. Those
2: are very good things to be thank you (laughs) (laughs) and we are excited to get to know you more um but i guess we can introduce ourselves first i can go first my name is JC. i use they any pronouns oh oh and we were also thinking we could all share like our big three astrological signs because i think that says a lot about person but my signs are i'm a libra sun
3: cancer moon and aquarius rising Hmm. yes rena next um yeah i'm rena i use he they pronouns and my big three, I'm an Aquarius, Sun, Taurus, Moon, and Virgo rising. Um, and I know about two things about any of them. It's very fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, my name is Sarah. I use she, her pronouns. I am a Gemini with a sun in Gemini and a moon in Scorpio. Or maybe it's switched. But I think that's what it is. Yeah.
1: Is, are you born in uh, Gemini season? Yes. Okay, yes.
0: Yeah, so I love Gemini.
1: I have a Scorpio moon. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> cool, yo. Oh, okay. So I forgot to share my pronouns. She, they. And I, my sun is in Cancer. My rising's in Virgo, like yours. And my moon's in Libra. <gasps> wow. Yeah.
2: Um, we had, like, a fun question to kind of start off. As I don't know. I feel like. We tend to pose like kind of deep multiple part questions that go on and on as we mentioned before. But yeah, um, just to start off, we had like, what is a place or a space here in the Twin Cities that is like very important to you or like has a lot of meaning or a history, personal history with it?
1: Yeah, definitely the first thing is Potterhorn Park. I grew up in South Minneapolis and um, Phillips, between Phillips and Potterhorn, between those two neighborhoods. And um, it's interesting because it's May Day this mm-hmm. weekend, yeah. um, which is like a huge puppet and mass theater. Y'all might know about it. Mm-hmm. OK, y'all do. Some people have like, never heard about yeah, it. I and was I'm at like, the May Day March. Um, oh,
3: me too. The first. OK. I was playing my flute.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so there's the May Day March. And then have y'all know about the May Day Parade? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, 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 yeah. Because
3: Heart of the Beast and Heart, Heart of the Beast stopped doing the,
1: the parade. Yeah. yeah, officially. Yeah, officially. But, yeah. Well, yeah, officially. But, but, you know, there's people who are, like, mm-hmm. just... It's still going to happen. It's still going to happen, period. Yes, yeah. there
0: was a fundraiser by the punks. So I know punks are coming through. Oh, yeah. Punks always come through on May Day. Period. <laughs> okay. And I'm having Mayday party because I live in Powderhorn Park. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So I hope it comes through.
1: Oh, it'll come through. There's definitely going to be, like, folks doing their thing. And, um, yeah, so for me, like, growing up in that neighborhood... Mayday was always a thing. I feel like it's always been an area that's been largely diverse. A lot of immigrants, my family are immigrants, um, as well as having a large kind of like artistic Mm -hmm. sort of space. A lot of queer community lives there um, historically as well. Um, So anyways, like Potterhorn Park is the park that, you know, I would kiss some boys on. I don't kiss on boys no more, really. But um, (laughs) I also, um, you know, would walk through there, to and from school and um as I've grown up you know it's just always been a place where I'd meet friends and walk around and then I used to work for the Heart of the Beast Theater putting on the May Day Parade for a couple of years um so that of course was the site of you know the work that we did there um so yeah so to me it's like I feel that it's very sacred place like now i live in northeast so i'm not there as regularly as i used to be when i lived in the neighborhood but that's definitely like a minneapolis touchstone for me oh absolutely i -hmm.
2: I guess similarly like i i also grew up in south minneapolis specifically in lindale neighborhood on Mm -hmm. lake street like i live on 31st so like one block from lake street Mm -hmm. and i don't know like i have so many memories just like walking down Lake street with my with my mom who's like my parents are also immigrants so like there's just a lot of memories of taking public transport down mm-hmm. as we like go to get a haircut or go to Aldi to get groceries and stuff like that so and also it was like um one of the few places where I felt like I was able to explore like other cultures and just see myself represented because I went to a school outside of my neighborhood like more deeper south um yeah in Minneapolis so It was like, once I'm home, I'm like, oh, there's people that look like me or have similar identities to me. And it was really comforting. Mm -hmm. So that, I think it'll always have a special place. And I think now we're like, we're thinking of moving. And I don't know, it's just crazy. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, because, yeah, the rent changes every year. So I think it's time to move. But I really hope, if I, I think I want to settle down, honestly, Mm. once I have my own family. And I would really like to live nearby Lake Street because I just have so many memories there and I would want to continue that. Are you going to move back here after college? Good question. I don't know. I I think so. I don't know. I have like three options.
3: And that's also a long time away. Yeah, But
1: but, mm -hmm. But no, I feel you. I feel like there's places, like right now I'm writing another young adult novel and it's more based in the 90s when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what I think about the 90s and when I just think about being a teen is walking up and down my neighborhood, you know, kind of the ways, you know, places, because when you're young, you're just like, well, what is this place? What Mm -hmm. is this place? You know? Um, and I think particularly in that time in that era, like there wasn't cell phones, there was, you know, so it wasn't like you could like Google the place. You just had to walk Mm -hmm. in and know what a place was. And, um, all of that so just even remembering all the different businesses that have been on lake street and you know like you're naming like you know lake street has always been um a largely like you know immigrant business mm-hmm. sort of throwaway you know um so whether it's like latinx business or more so now there's more east african businesses and stuff um so yeah and you know similarly like my mom lost you know her house got foreclosed on in 2015 Um, There's a lot of people who can't afford to live in this neighborhood that had been traditionally a place that was more affordable. And my wife and I, we live in Northeast now, which has been really great, actually. Like, I would have never moved to Northeast, like, of my own choice. Mm. But after, you know, the uprising and George Floyd's uh, murder happened just four blocks from where our old apartment was. So I feel like, you know, being from South Minneapolis, so much emotion and kind of... um, Grief, you know, was there, mm-hmm. and so as much as it's like was a undesired um, move to move out of South Minneapolis, it ended up feeling better. And there also is this aspect of you know, will sort of that energy that makes the community the community still feel that way of people Mm -hmm. who traditionally had been there can't afford Mm -hmm. to live there and can't keep businesses there anymore and now it's all, you know, businesses that are multinational corporations. Yeah. So.
3: Yeah. A very, very similar thing happened in my neighborhood where I live in. I live in Rondo, Mm -hmm. um, which is like a huge example of um, like thriving black communities being um, like broken apart, literally like cut through the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't even I grew up in Wisconsin and um I would come every I would come from May Day. Like mm-hmm. and so I've always um I've always been at May Day. and it was uh I don't think I realized like when I was younger, I definitely didn't realize the the importance of May Day and the significance of it. I was just like, Oh my god, puppets, no way. Mm-hmm. People skating through fire, no way. Oh my gosh. But uh, so now it's like both knowing the significance of May Day and also the puppets. um, That's pretty. I really am glad that I um, got to go to May Day when I was younger and now too. Mm -hmm. It's the best
1: day. It is the best day. It really is. It's like spring. It's when spring shows up to Mm -hmm. Minnesota for sure. So yeah, I've been doing work to like organize a lot of the like BIPOC artists who I'd worked with in the past. Who like you know what have tried to figure out like how do we create space that feels safe that feels mm-hmm. centered um, and like BIPOC community and and QTPOC folks too, um, yeah. So I feel like just trying to that was kind of my work with Mayday. That like although it was a very like kind of like hippie extravaganza, like it still I think struggled with like you know how do white folks deal with their mm-hmm. whiteness and yeah creating space and making people feel safe and comfortable and included and not extracted from. Um, So I think it's been interesting to see like, you know, now that it's sort of sunsetted in it's like traditional iteration, you know, with the Heart of the Beast Theater and seeing kind of all of like Mayday's children try to figure out what is the next season? What is the next possibility of it? So that feels exciting even, um, you know, coming into this year uh, but yeah, definitely being from South Minneapolis is such a yeah. Mayday is is our Christmas, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> in a way. Yeah,
3: yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one question that uh, I'm I'm skipping one, but we can go back to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, the first time that ever like. I don't know. Read your books and met you and stuff. Like it was because of this book, mm-hmm. and um. Oh, my gosh, I have so many stories. But um, I, the question is, I guess, how did it feel? And, like, maybe what inspired you to write, make a children's book after writing, um, like, a YA novel? Um,
1: yeah, I think and, it's, um, I don't know, I feel like so much of my art is just kind of, like, it sort of moves in its own way. Because mm-hmm. the children's, or the poem for the children's book um, was written before this book was, it was just a poem in the world. And I had Mm -hmm. written it when um, Michael Brown's murder had been acquitted, I forget the name of the police officer. Um, And he was saying like, oh, you know, um, the reason why he shot Michael Brown was that he was like a Hulk-like beast. He had so much strength and, you know, he was terrified as this armed, you know, um, servant of the law and had to kill the child. And I thought of, and you know, the inspiration for this book was like all of the elders who I knew, who knew how to hold young people accountable without enforcing violence or lethal, you know, kind of authority. Um, And actually, it was a part of my May Day section. The first year I did May Day was like Black Lives Matter, and the theme I did was Black is Sacred. And I wrote this poem, and the parade section I was in was all inspired by the grandmothers driving down the street and the Cadillacs, and, you know, people just being like, oh, you know, because we live in such a largely anti-black society, um, even acknowledging the influence and the impact in the history of black people has become such a space for fragility and triggering um, by all folks in our society, but, you know, particularly by white-bodied folks. and wanting to just be like oh you know just like we could see the land is sacred just as like we could see you know our country's forefathers is sacred we definitely have to see blackness and black people is sacred like you named the Rondo neighborhood um like a lot of people don't know the history of Rondo and that like it was a starving black community that the um 94 highway got built um through it so just even having these conversations and having you know like you as a Um, I'm assuming you're a white body person, yeah, Um, having that knowledge. And it's not like you're like, oh, my God, that tore my life up that I know the history of the place that I live, you know? So even writing this poem was like, how do we sort of allow everybody to just know the truth because we all live the wounds of our society, whether it's acknowledged or not. And I think particularly as a young person, I wanted to – I always felt like I would know the truth. Like my teachers would teach whatever. You know, the teachers just teach the basic stuff that you're like, whatever. But you don't know the truth. You don't know the alternative history. So um, I think for me, that is a thing what I love about writing for young people. you know. So anyways, that poem was written, was just a poem that like people would share anytime another black person would be murdered by police. Like, oh, we should give the police department to the grandmothers And this poem. And I could read the poem too later um but then I got an idea for this book that was just like story like it was just like that's usually how like fiction shows up for me it's like somebody's little story shows up like usually it's like I'm taking a shower and I'm like oh that's interesting and then I'll just like kind of write and then they talk more to you like I really do think you know writing and fiction is almost like a spiritual channeling because I don't know where these characters come from and you know I think before when I would before read books you just think that these authors just have these stories and they just write it down and to me it's kind of like sometimes I'll just be in the world and I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's what that person would think. Or, ha, 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 that person would think that's fun. Like, so, and I just even think how weird I am. I'm like, wow, like, I really invent people for me to hang out with. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, as a writer. I mean,
3: I would hang out with them. A hundred. Like, I would hang out with her grandma. <laughs> I would hang out with all of them.
1: Exactly. No, most of them. Most but. of them. Well, yeah, but it okay. is a thing where you're like, It's kind of like safe drama gossip because it's like your little world of you Mm -hmm. know stuff that you're creating so yeah i think for me what's been beautiful is like meeting people like you like young folks in particular um who just uh you know feel like they know these characters and feel that they are these characters in some ways too as well as people of all ages um one thing i know about or have experienced being a young adult writer is all ages read young adult work mm-hmm. you know 100 <laughs> percent, exactly so it's kind of nice to also heal the young people and the children within adults because I think adults like in my age group um I'm 41 um you know we didn't get to have as much expansiveness and affirmation around queerness or gender or what have you so I think being a young adult writer it's like I get to live vicariously through the young people who are around right now and how they live in their their identities and their just embodiment so yeah yeah
3: I think that so many so many like queer adults that I know I mean I don't get to like be around very many which is like a thing in itself Mm -hmm. but um the queer adults that I have in my life, especially the trans adults I know in my life, like read ma- a majority of, wi- of like young adult books because like wasn't accessible mm-hmm. when they were teenagers. And I think that um, the second time that I got, the, this, the reason I have two is the second time I have, I got this book was at my school's like writers group thing. And my, and my English teacher at the time um was queer and like I don't know like in her like late 30s or whatever and she was like I I feel like a kid reading like I feel like a teenager reading this and she's like I feel like my like 16 year old anarchist little kid self would love this book so that was like really I love hearing that. it was really <laughs> awesome to see
1: I love hearing that and that's the thing that's good like because y'all are young Just like you will always, there will always be that young part of yourself and several young selves that are in you that are like needing to be nurtured and seen and heard in new ways. And um, yeah, I I definitely feel like there's so much unrequited healing, you know, that can happen as you get older. Um, Sometimes around reading work, like even, what was I watching today that I was almost gonna cry? i'm always like oh listening to this podcast um ghost of a podcast it's like jessica Lignado. she's a astrologer that's also an animal communicator and she was talking to this woman whose cat and her were like just having a conversation with this woman's cat and this woman's cat that felt very isolated and very alone and essentially the woman had replicated the relationship that she had with her mother with her cat and I just was like so emotional and just so you know just thinking about all of the different um I don't know just like kind of spirits and just the ways that like you don't think just even your relationship with your cat is somehow Mm -hmm. processing childhood stuff and it just made me really emotional and I was like just get to the interview Janata but I was like (laughs) oh my god um but yeah definitely you know I think we all deserve to heal no matter when it happens you know.
3: Mm. want to ask a question oh well no
2: like when you were talking about at least for me I think it goes both ways like like I know when I'm older I'm gonna I'm gonna be still reading YA novels and like I want to in part because like when I was in myself even though there has been an increase in like different and diverse like characters and in um, you know being more inclusive like it's still not as much or what it should be from like when I was a kid and so I, I want definitely want to go back and, like, read stories that young me couldn't experience. Um, but, like, even right now, like, I want to, as, like, a queer Latinx person, like, sometimes I think, like, I barely know any other adults who have a similar, that exact same identity as me. And so sometimes it's like, well, it's a little lonely thinking about the future, like, when I'm older. Like, will I be one of the only people like that?
1: No, there's so many and hot ass queer folks and your sh- future <laughs> you know, you the, know?
3: <laughs> the, me and the episode me and Miles did mm-hmm. it's about that about how we feel like I wish that we had like trans grandparents to talk to and mm-hmm. then at the end of the interview he was like well Rena we're gonna be like the trans grandparents mm-hmm. it was really full cute. circle mom it was full circle but um, and I'm doing my history like final essay on like uh, looking at the AIDS crisis as like a genocide against trans people and queer people. Um,
1: I often think about that, about how, A, like so many queer and trans folks were lost in that space, but then also the magic that it was like, still the following generation, there are still more queer and trans folks. Mm -hmm. You know, like just the fact that like whenever, typically there's a genocide of a group, that group can never come back again, you Mm know? Um, But I do think about how yeah, like how do we hold those ancestors because they were also young ancestors, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and often were already shunned, you know, you know, by family and whatnot, and also the ways it pushed into just how chosen family exists within queer community anyway, you know. Um, but definitely, like it definitely was this thing where we're seeing that, you know, essentially with the pandemic, really trying to understand, like at least for me, because the AIDS. Um, epidemic happened when I was very young, you know, and it definitely influenced how I felt about sexuality, you know, um, I think as well. Um, And yeah, like I, I definitely love, you know, hearing your generation think about, you know, these ancestors who are so affirmed when we name them and claim them and hold them, you know, because I don't know. I've been doing a lot of just work. And, you know, you've read my book. So, like, ancestors and stuff are really Mm -hmm. sort of important to me. Um, But particularly the queer ancestors who, A, we don't even get to know exist. Actually, I had a reading. um, I had a spiritual reading last week. And I have a queer uncle that died when I was a teenager, uh, 12. And he died. um, He was murdered. And, you know, it kind of was... You know how there's some—death is always a thing people have a hard time talking about, which is another part of, you know, kind of what my book navigates. But, um, yeah, I just never—nobody really talked about him after it happened. So anyways, like, in the most couple years, when I'm naming all my other ancestors, I'll name him too— And in this reading, um, I named him. And this woman was like, oh, he's so happy that you named him. He's like, just like, he smells really good. He's like, just, you know, she just started describing him and, you know, how well he dressed, which everybody would talk about in that, even though the way he died. Because she was like, you know, he was shocked by the person who, like, basically betrayed him and, you know, this uh, death or what have you. But when he became an ancestor, he was still free. Like, he wasn't stuck on the earth. And anyway, so just to me, like, just even thinking about this queer ancestor who, you know, they're happy when we love on them and see them in ways that they weren't in life and even in death, you know. Um, I think his uh, gay identity was another thing that silenced his existence, you know, Um, so. You guys want to talk about the cars?
3: Oh, yes. Someone asked a question about the cars. We noticed,
2: well, okay, the has read your book, your debut book, Mm -hmm. and then we were reading... We like had, kind of had like this little
3: story time <laughs> last time. It week. was really well, cute. <laughs> <laughs> JC like read on Zoom and was like flipping through the book. Oh, I was really love cute. that. Um, so sweet. But we
2: noticed the grandmas and the Cadillacs, the Corvettes, mm-hmm. and they appear in both. So That's we were true. wondering what's the what's the story behind that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I kind of like when people find things that I don't really think about, but it shows up in my work, so thus I have been in the, subconsciously thinking about it. It's in the front it. cover. Oh, totally. That's the thing about writing, like I told you, it's like channeling, like you're kind of, you're there and you're present and you know you wrote it. And sometimes and you, I remember it, but then it's also like, oh, putting the patterns, it's like people can see it. And I don't know, I think for me, like a lot of it is how do I hold space? Like we're talking about elders. We're talking about queer elders. I think um, there's just not a lot of iterations of how do we look at these elders and not flatten them to like, oh, they're old people who are just kind of in the background or we don't get curious about all of their lives, like how we're talking about, you know, just even, I mean, y'all are babies, y'all are people who are ages that y'all are.
0: I'm pretty old.
1: Oh, really? You never know. (laughs) I mean, you might be, but I'm sure you're like in your 30s, maybe your 20s, Yeah. yeah. And maybe I'm young. Yeah, so you know how we um, I think, like, as you get older, or no, how our, as our society perceives people who are aging, it's like, oh, they're not as sexy, they're not as, like, oh, important because they're not young, or if you haven't accomplished certain things by a certain age, oh, it's too late for you, and I think when I think of these elder women, like, I just want them to be women living their lives, people living their lives, these elders who are like, oh, yeah, like, I'm coming around, and I like to be cute, and I like to, you know, have... Little flirtations, and um, yeah, I think for me, um, I don't know because it's I don't, I'm more of a bike person to be honest, like, I love bicycles, so it's not like I'm a person that's like, oh, I love bike or uh, cars, but I think um, when I initially was thinking at least of this um, particular. Um, within the grandmother's book, I was thinking about like, wow, we invest a lot of money in the police state. We invest a lot of money and kind of everything being uniform, everything kind of being domineering and sort of like intimidating. And I just imagine these grandmothers in just like cool, like purple Cadillacs with like convertibles. And you're like, oh yeah, I wouldn't be afraid when I saw that car rolling around versus like the minute you see a cop car, you're like, what did I do wrong? Am I doing something (laughs) wrong? Could I be whatever? Um, And then as far as in my first book, I think um, Queenie just to me was like, so Queenie is like the grandmother figure who's Trinidadian, and she's just like kind of this mystical kind of bohemian free spirit, queer energy elder. Um, And I think for me, I just wanted her to be so unexpected. You know what I mean? Like, I just wanted her to be like, because I think there's people who are like that where you're like girl, where did you get that car? Or like, oh, that's interesting. Like, oh, you're going on this trip. Like, I just wanted her to be like kind of the elder that I aspire to be Mm -hmm. and that I have in my life. Like, y'all talked about wanting elders. Like, I was fortunate and I feel that y'all will find too, like, elders that, like, live into the identities and y'all will teach them and they will teach you because there's things that I think I don't always feel like the wisdom comes from one direction. Like, you know, y'all see my kids. She's so, like, wise. Like, she be putting me on to so much stuff. But like I said, like in writing these characters and writing Queenie, I wanted her to feel like the, you know, elder I want to become and the kind of elders who I'm gotten to know over the years who are like, you know, older, queer, black femmes, you know, um, non-binary, gender expansive people who, some of them came to that realization in their 60s, which I think is kind of beautiful and through the influence of the younger generation. Um, And I wanted to write them in my work because I feel like, and you know, unless you write about it, then the people who write the same iterations of a grandma or the same iterations of queer people where it's like they're only coming out in their their teens. Mm -hmm. It's always like this horrible, complicated situation. And sometimes it is, you know, for sure. And sometimes there's ways that we come out to each other that's really safe and beautiful. We come out through the lovers we stumble into, the friends that hold soft space for us, you know. Um, So anyways, like in the car motif, you know, like I do, um, I realize like I like describing things and I like, you know, things to be fun and kind of fly. And I like love, you know, the idea of these like older black women just like in flat cars doing what they want to do, you know, so.
3: Because of course Queenie would have a convertible. Like, of course she would. It makes like ov- obviously like
1: exactly duh, it just duh duh. I know
3: Queenie. Yeah. Queenie.
0: I have a D and D character named Queenie. Aww. And she's a wizard bard, and she casts really cool spells through songs. And she has a crown. Aww. <laughs> but I also like to make up characters, so we both we both have channeled the Queenie no, into our that. lives. I love
1: that. I would love if when you read this. What you think about the Queenies and how they? Are in relationship with each other. I wonder.
0: I've been seeing so many connections. Like, when I read that book, I just, like, wrote a bunch of songs about sweetness, and, like, I was like, oh, there's so much sweetness in this book. Like, we're channeling the sweetness. Like, I don't know, there's other connections that I was making, but I was like, the vibes are right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you.
2: Okay, well, I think this is, like, my first time really seeing an author, like, someone write stories or books that center, like, intergenerational relationships and maybe i think for me at least it like struck me struck me a lot because i don't have a lot of that i mean besides my family like duh like it's multiple generations but um just my community itself at large i don't really see that but not everyone really comes to the conclusion of like how important it is to have a variety of people from different generations interacting so just like we're curious like how did you come to realize the importance of these relationships and like why we need to really seek out elders and yeah that's
1: a good question yeah i think like because i'm you know like i named um, my family i'm from an immigrant family so there's a lot of ways that you don't get access to extended family at least with my family so um i had some like my mom's siblings and my grandma lived up here Um, but I always longed for elders. I always longed, you know, like you'd watch TV and there'd be like, you know, oh, we're going to grandma's house. Let's go up to the attic. Look at her wedding dress. Like I always wanted there to be like just this legacy that I could resource, you know, and I think um, oftentimes, um, A, either you don't have, you know, access to elders. Like I didn't, my grandfather father my mom's dad died when um she was young um my dad didn't know his dad my grandmother on his side was in the virgin islands um and it was something i longed for like even though it's not like a thing i had and missed it was just like a thing i longed for and i loved my grandma who lived here like she was so sweet um and i also wanted more you know like i wanted more and i think um as far as intergenerationally i don't know i feel like i was the kind of kid that always loved elders. Like, I remember (laughs) um, there was this after-school program when I was in fourth grade that was, like, adopt a grandparent. And my child, like, I could never imagine my child adopting a grandparent or signing up for that after-school activity. But I was like, oh my gosh, like, yes, like, I want to, like, be with, the you know, the grandparents, apparently. So we'd go to these nursing homes and, like, hang out with these elders and sing songs and, um just hang out and talk to them and i remember there's it was funny because it's like and then gosh i was nine so it was like 1990 and i remember going and like it was all mostly it was all old, old white white people um and i remember this woman being like you know some people don't like negroes but i like negroes you know, I And i was just like nine like uh-huh you know and you know this other Person like falling asleep and I was like is she alive and so anyways like it it was a thing that like like clearly like I was curious about it Um, I didn't have it and then I you know like in my late teens I started making friends who were like 10 years older than me 15 years older than me yeah right because it's sort of like I needed to find my people and sometimes it's not in your immediate family you know Um, and then even when I moved to New York like I was in my 20s all my friends were in their 40s I had a friend who was in her 60s and it wasn't this thing where it's like oh I don't know like at the end of the day kind of like we said like the intergenerational like there's different generations but there's also on a spirit level we're all kind of here trying to figure out humanity and life you know so I think it was always important for me to be around people who could talk to me about revolutionary movements from back in the day And as far as how it exists in my work, because similar to you, it's not like I'm like, oh, these are some people, you know, read my books and think that like, oh, you had a grandma like Queenie or you, you know, know people in this way. And a lot of it is kind of aspirational. You know, it's kind of like this thing where um, I would like to like your naming be an elder like that one day. You know, maybe we could. Um. There also were times where it's like, I imagine maybe, you know, our parents, you know, and other generations where there was more connections intergenerationally. I do think a, a lot of American society doesn't value that. It's very like, oh, independent and you get married and you leave your family and you have to kind of raise your kids on your own. You don't have this extensive kind of network. Um, and I think that's what's kind of interesting about queerness, because I do think queerness kind of is very ancestral, and And kind of like does things old school ways, you know, like I think, um, my life got more intergenerational the more I was in queer space, you know, so I think, um,
0: there's more of an idea of like community and like a village, like you need people around you to like feel like a human, like I feel like culture these days is so isolating, and then when you're in like a queer space, everybody knows each other and has each other's back, mm-hmm. and that's like you have so, to right so yeah. rare to find so it's like it's awesome that that is like a big part of like queer community i, think Definitely. I guess l- i kind of want to ask the next question because i think i know you through community work more because i've been doing like music in this minneapolis for a while and um i feel like the community in minnesota is pretty hard t- to deal with because of like the dominant white that we have to deal with as artists who are promoting our work and like who are need to make money as an artist to continue to be an artist so how are you finding like ways to thrive as an artist in this community and like how has the community shaped the
1: type of work you do
0: Mm. I guess are my kind of my questions that are probably huge
1: yeah those are you know great questions so hmm Yeah, I think for me, like, I don't know. I I feel like I like a lot of people because we live in a culture and a nation that doesn't value art, arts, you know, whether it's like, you know, funding young people to study it or having access to it um, or just resourcing people who make it, you know, oftentimes Um, As we all know, like people who have art careers are also holding down other jobs and having to do that in the edges. And I think for me, I have always been overworked as an artist, you know, even with the Heart of the Beast Theater, loved that job. It was like one of my favorite jobs, but like totally overworked and underpaid. Um, And um, I know, like all of us know, that there's a lot of money in this country. Like there's so much money in this country. And so it's not, you know, it's just like, you know, like we've all been talking about, you know, whether it's mental health, whether it's, you know, physical health or people's, you know, housing needs. Um, Arts are a part of like collective healing. Like it was a part of, you know, all spiritual practices are you know, singing or, you know, dancing or creating something beautiful and something like about that is connected inherently to spiritual and, you know, um, cultural connection. And I think that um, it's a thing that if I weren't living in this American society, I feel like, I mean, I kind of see my work as like kind of priestess work or kind of magic work. Like, I, I don't just see it as like, oh, this is my career and I write books and I make money, even though like that's how... Because we live in these paradigms, you know, we have to think about our work as um, how we make money from it. You know, um, so I guess for me, I'm I'm always trying to figure out like how do I maintain this kind of spiritual ritual, kind of practice with my work that, you know, sort of lives into the things that matter to me and that I want to share with the world, and also, um, you know, pay my bills and um, take care of my mental health and whatnot. Um, I feel like Minneapolis, because of, you know, our tax appropriation um, heritage um, and culture fund that gives money from taxes every year to programs, I think, you know, compared to my friends in New York, um, there's just way more funding in Minnesota for artists. And at the same time, um, you know, it's a skill set to apply for grants, you know? It's a um, thing that you could, do your best at applying for a grant, doesn't mean you'll necessarily get it. Um, And if you get it, doesn't mean it funds your work or everything you need, you know, in all these ways. Um, So I feel like I've been very fortunate in the grants and awards and the things I've gotten as an artist, and I still don't feel secure in all the ways that um, I think everybody deserves to feel secure financially. Like, I definitely feel more secure than I've ever been as an artist. Like, definitely having books in the world shift how people perceive you, you know, which is one of those things that, you know, is unfair because I'm still as an amazing artist as I was before, but, you know, this is like a product, you know, to, you know, people all over the world can now see my work in a way that definitely, has been great to share further, um, but it also um, is a thing that, you know, yeah, yeah, like I um, have to remind myself that my identity isn't important because I write books now, if that makes sense, because I think um, it's hard to write books. (laughs) You know, books don't always do well, you know? Um, I feel like, And the kind of books I write kind of take time. Like, I I like the book I'm writing now. Um, You know, a pandemic happened in the midst of it. Um, It's pulling towards a lot of things from my own personal experience that are really tender and whatnot. So yeah, so I think for me, I'm always, and then also too, um, books are kind of like, okay, this is my identity now, but a lot of my work was performance art and kind of installation and puppet and circus stuff, which definitely is still a part of who I am as an artist. And I miss it, you know? So it's like, how do I also um, be in all these conjuring creative spaces that feed me as a human being and not be so beholden to the like, but I'm a writer and I need to get all these books in and I do need to finish my book and i also want to like you know be a little fairy in the sh- in the forest <laughs> you know discovering new feelings that like come into new iterations of my existence you know so yeah and i feel like you know you as an artist like i'm curious how you know you feel like you hold yourself as an artist you know in the context of having to also be a person that makes ends meet and you know all of that kind of stuff
0: right no i'm i'm the same way like now I just write grants like it's like nothing but that was a very hard skill to convince myself that I deserved
1: Mm -hmm. I was like
0: why would like feeling like you're deserving of money was like the biggest step Mm -hmm. (laughs) for me as an artist I was like oh wait maybe the things I the the time I spend on this is worth something maybe Mm -hmm. but it doesn't feel like it at first because I you know you, you have to be bad at something for so long before you get at it and then once you get the money it does help but you still have to like have the creative practice and I mean, like obviously all the things that you did that was creative fed into the reason why your books are so good. So mm-hmm. it's like it all it all like feeds into each other. And like I'm mostly a musician, so I like, I, a lot of like the, I mean, I grew up playing music. So my experience came from like just being a musician and like learning to create the sound that I wanna do. But I, I guess I still struggle to feel like it's, like, important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> More important than someone else's work. So that's something I'm trying to, like, figure out for myself, I guess.
1: You mean in the context of applying for grants?
2: Well, or no,
0: just, you know? like, I don't know. I guess it's, like, I see all these other artists, and they're so amazing. And I'm, like, am I good? Like, this yeah, is this so stuff I make good? No, I definitely can relate. <laughs> and I'm like, but it's also I kind mean? of,
1: like, how... We're just all so unique, you know? Like, I think I just try to remind myself that, like, nobody can make the art that I make.
0: Right, Right, that's true. That is true.
1: Because then it is a thing where... But
0: your stuff is very, obviously, very good. Well, yeah, and and your
1: stuff, too, I'm sure. You know what I mean? Or it's here to heal something. Like, sometimes people are like, oh, you know, I don't know. And I get it because I guess what was coming to my mind is that another reason is that art and we're so devalued. Artists are so devalued. You know, it's kind of like, oh, you want to be an artist? Oh, okay, well, I want to do something real with the world, like be a lawyer. You know what I mean? Like, we will give somebody, like, oh, yeah, you want to be a lawyer, but we won't necessarily give that to a person who's like, I want to be an artist. It's seen as, like, a frivolous thing rather than actually extremely healing. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that how many times have you been to an art experience, whether it's seeing music or seeing a piece of artwork or... I don't know, like even like I was at the Brooklyn Museum and it was like Terry Muechler, I don't know if he's, I'm saying his name right, in like all of his costumes. And it's just like, just he's making weird like metallic costumes that like Lady Gaga and Beyonce wear as well as, you know, what have you. And I'm like, that is important. Like I needed to see somebody's brain think of a thing, you know, not just like how boring the world would be without artists. Like I definitely feel like it's the lifeblood of existence, is art and beauty and whatnot, you know? So um, yeah, like I always feel like, I always tell people like, y'all do your art, because I think sometimes, because I remember like I didn't really come out as an artist until I was 29, around the time I came out as queer, you know? Like they were kind of tied up with each other for me, you know, and I think that's um, maybe the case for a lot of, you know, people. It's like the part of you that makes you you Um, is how you love and how you express yourself and whatnot. Um, And I think part of me just felt like, oh, similar to you, like, uh, who am I to be an artist? There's, like, really talented people out there. Like, I am not like them. And it was just, like, literally it made me sick. Like, literally my body was, like, I so needed to do art that, like, I would have... I had a mental crisis because of it, you know? So I think it's a thing that just like you can't repress who you are with you know your gender or sexuality or if you do it's at uh expense to your overall soul's purpose you know um it's a detriment to that i think same thing with art you know like i think my father who was a tremendous artist um and also uh navigated extreme mental health like i know his mental health worsened when he wasn't doing art you know and i think that's the case with the A lot of people, so I don't know, like I just feel like everybody should have to work the bare minimum, get paid the most they could get paid and have, I just don't feel people should be spending 40 hours a week working for anybody. I think tops, if we have to work, 15 to 20 hours a week and then all the other time is to pursue everything that you want to pursue that like you know I don't think I think that's the other thing with artists uh, artistry is like am I gonna make it as an artist like to have all this pressure to make it as an artist because it's so hard to make it as an artist I think takes away the flow of artistry right you know so
0: and the flow of your own vitality like you should be free to like take the actions that you need to to be who you are that day (laughs) without like being blocked and that that's something I really struggle with is like I have such a baller personality. I know that I need money. It's not, I can't be a struggling artist <laughs> anymore. Curious. So I'm like, I know I got a ball, but I know I got to make art all the time, but I don't want to like worry about my art making money. So I'm just going to make, apply for grants all the time. And then I'm always applying for grants. And I'm like, why am I applying for grants? I want to be making art. Oh my God. No, that's,
1: that's, <laughs> but that's the thing. It's like such a hamster wheel. And I think like my, um, I studied circus aerial arts, um, with a woman, Kate Belie Kalnick. Jamaican, queer, non-binary.
3: I know exactly who that is. You do? I think so. Because, she, does she live? They, they go by they though. Okay, mm-hmm. do, do they live in the cities? They live in Brooklyn. Maybe I don't know what this is.
1: Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll share their Instagram with you, but okay. they, um, you know, had started studying circus in their 30s um, and had lived in Spain, where they were paid to be a theater artist. Like they just, you know, Spain paid them and, you know, they just did their thing. And I just always thought that was so freaking dope that it's like, say if we all got just a check to be like, you will be doing art in community and the that's community needs- That's what I want that's right That's what you now. deserve. That's what we all deserve where it's like, oh yeah, like you make the art um, because we need it. It's lifeblood, you know? Um, and I think that was just always so impactful to me to be, A, like I just was obsessed with them. I think, you know, that was like, certainly a a person that helped me get into my gay realizations. Um, And a lot of it had to do with just the way they lived life, you know, in their own free magical way. Um, And in a way that I think all of us deserve, you know, is to be like, yeah, you get to make your art, be inspired by it. Like you said, it's life force. And if you have to wake up every day, like even my daughter who's, you know, she's nine and um, really struggles with school like, and just thinks it's, I hope none of her teachers listen to this I don't know, Um, but I think a lot of kids struggle with school, you know, like it's very the same, you have to sit down, you have to focus, you have to, you know kind of not do what you want to do, you got to do what they're telling you to do, And, and to me, being an adult that has fought my way out of those ways of being, and then having to see her indoctrinated in it and being like, oh, like, how do I allow her to understand this is the system we live in, and to not put it in a pedestal where she feels bad if she doesn't conform perfectly, like I would feel, you know, when I didn't conform. So, yeah. Mm.
0: Well, we are almost out of time. Um, Do you wanna do anything, ending thoughts? I was gonna have you, if you could close
1: off by reading the book. Oh yeah, oh, yeah definitely.
3: Thank you so much.
1: Thank y'all so much it's so good to meet y'all. I'm, I was very like happy that y'all hit me up to come. And yeah, I, I, I just love talking to people. Can we please give the police department to the grandmothers? Give them the salaries and the pensions and the city vehicles, but make them a fleet of vintage Corvettes, Jaguars and Cadillacs with white leather interiors, convertibles, digging the scene with the gangster lane. Let the grandma squad cars be badass. You would hear the old school jams like Patti LaBelle, Stevie Wonder, Anita Baker, and Al Green. You would hear Sweet Honey in the Rock, harmonizing on we who believe in freedom cannot rest, bumping out the speakers, and they got the booming system. If you up to mischief, They will pick you up swiftly in their sweet rides and look at you until you catch shame. She will ask if you are hungry and you say yes, and of course you are. On the dashboard, you will see brown faces like yours, shea buttered and loved up, and there will be no precincts. Just love temples, with spaces to meditate and eat delicious food, mangoes, blueberries, nectarines, cornbread, peas and rice, fried plantain, fufu yams, greens, okra, pecan pie, salad and lemonade. Things that will make your mouth water and soul arrive. All the hungry bellies will know warmth. All the children will expect love. The grandmas will help you with homework, practice yoga with you, and teach you how to make jambalaya and coconut cake from scratch. When you're sleepy, a grandma will hum and rub your back while you drift off. A song that she used to have the record of when she was your age. She remembers how it felt to be you and be young and not know the world that good. Grandma is a sacred child herself, one who's just circled the sun enough times to enter the ripeness of her cronehood. She wants your life to be sweeter. When you are wiling out because your heart is broke or you don't have what you need, a grandma will take your hand and lead you to her gardens. You can lie down amongst the flowers. Her grasses, roses, dahlias, irises, lilies, collards, kale, eggplants, blackberries. She wants you to know that you are safe and protected, limitless, sacred, sensual, divine, and free. The grandmas are the original warriors, wild since birth, comfortable and loving fiercely. They have fought so that you don't have to, not in the same ways at least. So give the police department to the grandmas. They are fearless, classy, and actualized. Blossomed from love. They wear what they want, and they say what they please. Believe that. There wouldn't be noise citations when the grandmas ride through our streets, blasting Erica Badu, Nina Simone, Marvin Gaye, Alice Coltrane, Jimi Hendrix, KRS-One. All that good music. The kids gonna hula hoop to it and sell them lemonade made from heirloom pink lemons and maple syrup. The cars will be solar powered with no carbon footprints. The grandmas design the technology themselves. At night, the grandmas will park the cars in a circle so all can sit in them with the tops down. You'll look at the stars talk about astrological signs and what to plant tomorrow based on the moon's mood. They will help you memorize Audrey Lorde and James Baldwin quotes. A grandma will always look you in the eye and acknowledge the light in you with no hesitation. She loves you fiercely. The grandmother see the pain in our bravado, the confusion in our anger, the depth behind our coldness. Grandmas know what oppression has done to our souls and it's going to change it one love temple at a time. The grandmothers have no fear. Learn more
0: about Listen Up Youth Radio, including our peer-to-peer educational workshops in media production and social media marketing services at www.listenupyouth.org. Check out past broadcasts of Youth Soup on a live podcast app, now available on iOS and coming soon to Android.
3: This activity was made possible by the voters of Minnesota through a grant from the Metropolitan Regional Arts Council thanks to a legislative appropriation from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.